don't know if you paid attention to the words, but that is some hard truth uh, to swallow. Um, Welcome uh, to RUF, and if this is your first time, I'm really glad you're here. What are we doing here? Well, let me put it this way. We hope that coming here on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week that you, in some sense, have your sanity restored. What do I mean by that? Well, you, by this time in the semester, have all sorts of things going on in your life. Some of you are physically sick and not doing well. You're in the middle of tests, exams. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship or maybe things aren't good uh, at home or someone in your family um, has got a terminal illness. I don't know what it is, but uh, life threatens and bears down on us. And we come here on a Wednesday night uh, and we're reminded of what is right and true in the world. We're reminded of who we are, but more importantly, we're reminded of who God is uh, and his goodness to us uh, as sinners. And so I hope that you're encouraged, and I hope this is a uh, breath of fresh air in the middle of your week. Um, who are we? Well, we're a ministry that believes we're a whole a lot worse than we think we are um, as people, but at the very same time, we also believe that God meets us in that uh, through His Son Jesus, and that His grace and goodness to us is greater than we can imagine. We are doing a study this semester through the Ten Commandments, and it's really hard to believe we're already at Commandment 8. And after tonight, we have three RUFs left this semester. That is insane to think how quickly the semester has gone. But uh, as I was thinking about this commandment, number eight, I was reminded of a story that I've heard Tim Keller uh, tell before when he was preaching through his series on the seven deadly sins. He's driving home from church and after preaching on one of the seven deadly sins and his wife looks at him and says, I guarantee you the week that you deal with greed, that will be your lowest attendance. No one will show up. And she was exactly right. That was by far the uh, lowest uh, attendance during the series. Uh, Every other week was completely packed. You can imagine people were coming out in droves when he was talking about lust and wrath and even pride. But no one showed up for the sermon on greed. Why? Well, because no one thinks they're greedy. Because you see, greed uh, is one of those things that hides itself from its victim. And I think we could, in some way, say the exact same thing about the Eighth Commandment tonight, which is do not steal. No one thinks they're a thief. And and studies actually show this. Studies show that 90% of Christians think that they have kept the Eighth Commandment. And why is that? Well, it's probably obvious, but partly the reason for that is when we hear do not steal... The mental picture that goes into our mind has nothing to do with our life, oftentimes. When we think of stealing, we think of the wet bandits from Home Alone. Please say you remember that. Like, you know those guys, and they're going around at Christmas and stealing uh, everyone's things when they're out of town. Or we think of Catwoman, or we think of someone with a mask in all black and lurks in the middle of the night. 
That is our picture when we think of stealing. And the problem is that that is so different from who we really are and who we are, and we can't identify with that very well. And so my hope tonight is that we meditate again on this very short commandment. As we look at this together, my hope, and you're going to think this is really crazy, and you're thinking, why in the world would he hope this? But my hope is that it would expose our hearts and that you would actually see that you really are a thief tonight. That God would come and convict us in such a way. And will it be hard? Probably. Will it be convicting? Probably so. But you see, that's okay. Because that's really why the gospel is such good news is because we can be honest about who we really are and we can see the depths of what's really in our heart. And when we see our need, we actually see our need for Jesus that Jesus really does love sinful people like me and you, which is the whole reason why Jesus came into the world in the first place. Remember the commandments. They're like a mirror. When you look into it, it shows us something about ourselves, a flaw in some way. Like when you look in the mirror, it shows you you got something in your teeth or on your face, right? And it drives you to the cleansing agent. Remember, you don't take the mirror off and start scrubbing your face. You go to the water. Same thing with the commandments. Tonight, it's going to show us that maybe we're thieves more than we realize. So it's like a mirror, but it drives us to the cleansing agent. It drives us to Jesus. Because he is the one that can clean us and make us new. So let me read uh, the short passage tonight. I'm going to read both verses. And then I'll pray and then we'll jump in. Exodus chapter 20 verse, it should be 15 there, sorry for the mistake. You shall not steal. Ephesians 4 verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing the honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and to help us. Let's pray together. Father, would you uh, come tonight through this passage? Again, you tell us that your word is useful for correcting and rebuking and convicting and also encouraging and teaching us in all righteousness. And so would you come through this very short commandment and, and show us our heart, but at the very same time, show us Jesus. Father, encourage us as well through the gospel uh, tonight. Uh, It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, four things tonight from this passage. We're going to look at, first of all, the importance of possessions. Secondly, stealing, which is the negative side of the commandment. What does it look like for us to steal um, in the not-so-obvious ways? Thirdly, uh, the positive side of the commandment, which is we're called to be generous. And then lastly, we'll finish up with how do we grow and change? What is the hope for a people that may, might find themselves um, to be thieves tonight? And we'll see there uh, in that last point that that's where Jesus comes in and rescues us. So let's look at those four things. Number one, the possessions. One of the things, if you've been coming this semester, is that we've been, I've been trying to draw out for you is the why behind the commandment. 
why has God given us the commandment? Because it's when we see the why that we're able to make sense of ourselves. But it also helps us to understand why God has given us this commandment in the first place. And I think that's in particularly true, again, in commandment number eight. Unless we understand the why, we will not understand the temptation of the Eighth Commandment, nor will we understand our struggle with it. We've got to understand first the power of our possessions. And we see that all throughout the Bible. You probably are familiar with verses, and I think of verses like, where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. And so there's this picture in the Bible that possessions really are a window Uh, directly into our souls. That's the way the Bible talks about it. There is a sense of owning things that is both God-given, but at the very same time, it is man's greatest struggle. Because you see, in owning things, we have possessions. uh, in, In owning possessions, we have some sort of power over the created universe. The more we have, more things we have, the more of the world we can control. Okay, let's keep working that out. And here's what I want you to see uh, about that, is that though God has given us things in order for us to be stewards of, uh, there is some measure of, that measure of control that we're given is actually a gift from God. It's actually God-given. And we see that happen in the garden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God delegates his authority to Adam and Eve and he allows them to act as stewards over his creation. That's a, stewards is a big word. He doesn't say that they're the ultimate owners. But God has allowed you and I as human beings to be stewards over things, over parts of the earth and things that he's given us to own. Listen to what one commentator says, Philip Ryken. A steward is one who cares for someone else's property. He is not free to use it however he pleases, but only to manage it in accordance with his master's intentions. He has given us, God has given us, the sacred trust of looking after the world. God has given you and I the sacred trust of looking after the world. That's absolutely amazing. He owns it all, but he's allowed us to be stewards. And so what does that mean? Well, it means this. God has given you possessions or resources to take care of. And owning possessions and having ownership over things is part of what makes you human. Now let me work that out with this illustration and see if it doesn't become a little more clear. Some of you know this story. I'm not sure I've ever told it in large group. But a couple of years ago, you'll remember, I was all excited. I had my iPhone 6, okay? And one month after getting the iPhone 6, I'd finally upgraded after years. I go to RUF staff training in Denver, Colorado. Day one, I'm in a seminar, and I do what many of you do. I go and I take my phone and I plug it in the wall. And, of course, when the seminar was over... I forgot to go get my phone. I make it to the elevator. So we're, we're thinking, I think like a minute. I mean, it's no time at all. Maybe two minutes. I get to the elevator and I realize my phone. I go back to where my phone was plugged in the wall. Gone. 
The phone had, had just come out, this iPhone 6. And so it was, it was gone. Cord and everything completely gone. And so I did what I was supposed to do. I went up to the front desk. I reported it. They filled out the necessary paperwork. We're really sorry about your phone. I said, yeah, I bet you are. And, uh, and then I go and hop on my computer and log in to find my iPhone, which is amazing, by the way. And so nothing. It's offline. Of course, they're smart enough to turn, turn the phone off. Well, five o'clock, three hours later rolls around or so. I, it pings. My phone pings in downtown Denver in a department store. I pick up the phone. I call, I'd already called them um, and kind of put in a report. So I called the police and I say, my phone is in this store in downtown Denver. Can you help me? Can you get it? I know exactly where it is. I've got the address. And they basically started laughing at me. And they were thinking, we're not going to help you find your phone. We're actually trying to find real criminals here, okay? We're not, we don't care about an iPhone. We've we got bigger problems to take care of. And I was, again, thank you very much uh, for all of your help. Uh, <laughs> But here's why I tell you that story. That night and really through the middle of the week, that rattled me. Uh, I was unsettled. And I remember about middle of the week, uh, I was driving with Les Newsom, and Les goes, tell me the story about what happened to your phone. I was telling him, he goes, well, you remember, I don't know if you know this, but at one point uh, I was held up at gunpoint and robbed. And he went on to tell me that story, and he said, how, how are you feeling? And I said, well, you know what? Honestly, I'm really unsettled and kind of rattled a little bit. And he goes, well, you know why that is? He says, because that's tied to your humanity. It goes right to the center of, of who you are. And I said, listen, I wasn't held up at gunpoint, but I totally get it. I said, this is just simply an iPhone. Well, what, what was going on there? Well... Think about it this way. If you've ever had someone rob you or rob your home or you know someone, it's not about the stuff. I didn't care about the iPhone that much. I can go out and get a new iPhone. It wasn't that big a deal. But it's the fact that someone has violated you and taken something that is yours. Why are you violated? Well, because it's dehumanizing. You're in a sense taking away someone's dignity. Because you, the reason why I was so unsettled is because I was created, you were created, to own things and to have things. And when someone takes those things from you, it goes straight to the center of who you are. Does that make sense? So as a human being, you're given some measure of, of authority. Again, you're under God, but he's allowed you to be a steward of things and have ownership. They're gifts from him. Another thing I want to say here, too, is because of Genesis chapter 3, if you remember, that was when the mankind fell into sin, and Adam and Eve decided they didn't want to be stewards anymore. They actually wanted to be owners. And from that point on, we have had this tendency to take these gifts that God have, has given us and make idols out of our possessions. And when we make idols out of our possessions, we are working against our humanity in the way we, we are, were created. Because if we make idols out of our possessions, it destroys us. 
It ends up destroying us and zapping the joy that we're meant to have in having things uh, that God has given us. And so the choice really comes down to this. We've got to come to grips with the way things uh, are designed and that God has given us things to be stewards over. Uh, and they are gifts from him. And if we keep them in, its pro- in their proper perspective, life works well. But if we go against that and start looking to them to save us and to be our masters, then they end up destroying us. It's just that established in the created world. Okay, there's lots of things, but I don't have time to get into the ways that happens. But you can probably think, even in your own life or looking around you, of when we take God off the throne and put a possession on the throne, it ends up coming back and eating you alive in a sense. Because it wasn't meant to be that way. Second thing, stealing. What does it look like to steal? So remember, the commandments have a positive side and a negative side, and they're obviously stated in the negative. So do not steal would be the negative side of this commandment. That's obvious. But what do we mean by stealing? Here's what one commentator, how he describes or defines stealing. Stealing is the desire to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. Getting as much as possible while giving as little as possible. Stealing is when we are takers without being givers. To put it in what we said last week, stealing is you for me. And at glance, at first glance, we look at this and we maybe think, that's right, God, go get the thieves. Stop stealing. Do not steal. Because rarely do we think we are the ones that need to stop stealing. Because you see, rarely do we think about the mundane, everyday ways in which you and I actually take things that aren't ours and actually steal from others. What does that look like? Well, obviously, there are, uh, the obvious ways, which you, you know, probably in the code of conduct or in the student handbook or in class that you go over every semester, is intellectual theft. I mean, the obvious ways that we steal is we cheat on tests or we uh, cheat on papers or we turn in a homework assignment that we did not do but someone else did and we turn it in as our own. So those are pretty obvious ways that we steal intellectually from other people. But what about the less obvious ways? And here's one that really hit me between the eyes as I was thinking about this passage. Think about how we steal people's time. Yes, we steal people's time. And, and, And we do that in all sorts of ways when we're late, to meetings, or when we're late to class, or when we're late to a doctor's appointment, or we steal people's time, or our professor's time when we're in class and we're surfing the internet, or texting, or checking social media. Or maybe it looks like not doing your best work and just kind of getting by, doing the least possible that you can do to get through college. That's actually stealing, isn't it? Because you're stealing, in a sense, from your parents or from the university who is actually paying for your education. 
Or think about how we steal from God. And one of the ways we steal from God is when we live life as if it's all about us. When, when, when our life is lived solely in reference to us. We are on the throne. You see, when we do that, that's actually stealing God's glory. And we become glory thieves. What rightly belongs, uh, the place that rightly belongs to God, we take for ourselves. But we also do this with other people. You ever thought about the way we steal other people's moments? The way we steal other people's moments. It happens a lot. Someone maybe in your friend group or at the table um, in, in the union or at your sorority or fraternity house, you walk up, you sit down, someone's telling a story and you totally take over. And before the conversation ends, it's off of that person and on you. And it suddenly becomes all about you. Or maybe you've got a friend that comes to you and has something really great that happened in their life and they're so excited about it and they meet you and they want to tell you all about it but when they meet and start talking, slowly but surely the conversation gets back to you. (laughs) And you are back at the center of the conversation. You see, all sorts of ways in which we steal people's moments, isn't there? Or what about relationship? How we, we do that in our relationships where we become takers instead of givers. And I think here, when I think about how we steal in relationships, I think of the really possessive dating relationship or the really controlling uh, dating relationship where one person is trying to always control the other person's time. They're trying to control... Um, where they are, who they see. I've even heard of what they wear. Or maybe they even try to control their affections and try to control their emotions in such a way that um, they get upset at you when you're not meeting their needs. They They get possessive over your body, maybe, where they look at your body as solely something to be used for your pleasure. We do it in relationships in which we take and steal from the people that we're in relationship with. But the question I I really want to, I think it's important for us to answer is why do we do that? Why do we steal? What's behind that? Uh, Why are we so good at being takers but find it so hard to give? Why do we continually ask and say, you for me? rather than me for you. You know why we do that? Because we're all deeply afraid. If we're honest, we are deeply afraid and full of fear, and we, in our heart of hearts, do not believe that God is good and that God really loves us. Instead, we think God's holding out on us or God's going to pull the rug out from under us and that He doesn't long to give us good gifts and provide us what we need. We don't believe, as Romans 8 says, if God did not give His only Son, how will He not also graciously give us all things? We don't believe that if we're honest. And so we take. And we steal. Think about it. Why do you cheat? Why do you present someone else's work as your own in the group project when you didn't show up for one group meeting? 
Why do you find every way possible to get the best grade possible, to secure the best job possible, without putting in, with putting in the least amount of work that you can possibly put in? Fear. It all goes back to fear. We're fear... We, we are scared to death that we're going to fail. And if we fail, then we won't get into that graduate school or we won't get into that, uh, get the GPA that we need or we won't get the job that we long for to secure our financial future. Or maybe we're comparing ourselves with someone else and we don't want to be seen as a failure because it would do damage to our image and our reputation. And so we cheat and steal from other people because it's a way that we can control the outcome and prevent us from failing and from something bad happening to us. Think about relationships. Why do we steal from others and take in relationships? Why do we manipulate? Why do we control? Well, because we're scared. At our heart of hearts, we're afraid of not fitting in. Or we're afraid that if we're no longer dating then we're going to be all alone and so we're scared to be alone or we're scared that we might be seen as an outcast or we're scared that we've got to assert our importance in a relationship and control it and dominate it because we're scared that we won't be seen as significant or useful or wanted. Thirdly, generosity. So what's the positive side of this commandment is obviously generosity. And again, challenging here because basically this commandment says that if you and I have the ability to help someone in need and we don't help them, then we have actually stolen from them. That's what the commandment is actually saying. So the positive side of this commandment is me for you. Look at Ephesians 4, that verse listed on your announcement sheet. Let the thief... No longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that, and here's what I want us to focus on, so that he may share with anyone in need. Look at that closely. That's jaw-dropping, if you really think about what Paul is saying here. Very interesting, astounding, because he is saying... That the, the why behind our work. And notice what he does not say. He doesn't say work so that you can get more stuff for yourself. Work so that you can make as much money as possible to build your retirement plan so that you can live happily ever after and have the American dream. Or work so that you can be as comfortable as you possibly can. Is that what Paul says? No. Are those bad things? No. But listen closely to what Paul says. He says the reason why you and I are to work is so that we can give our stuff away. So that we can give our money away. So that we can give stuff and help people that are in need. And he comes and basically think about the big picture. God is your provider. Remember Matthew chapter 6? Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about what you are to eat or to drink or your future. If I take care of the birds of the air and if I clothe the lilies of the field, how much more am I going to provide for you? And so the principle is that God, you're His child. He's going to provide for you. 
So don't worry about yourself, but instead, as you work, you give things away generously to other people. And I love what he says here. The word work that Paul uses means to labor to the point of fatigue. To labor to the point of fatigue. And so Paul says that we should work to the point of exhaustion in order to provide and to be generous to people that are in need. And that is mind-blowing because that is not our world. That goes totally against everything that you will find outside the walls of Parish H Chapel. Because everything outside these walls is about getting as much as you possibly can and storing it up for yourself. But for the Christian, you are to work and to make money and to gain possessions so that you can trust God and actually give away generously to other people. Friends, generosity is at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. And so a couple of application questions. Are you a generous person? And maybe that question shouldn't be directed at you because you're right, no one's objective about themselves. And so we need a word from the outside. So the question would be is, would your roommate or would, would people around you say, what would your friends say? Would they say that you're a generous person? Do you give your stuff away? Do you give to the poor and to the needy? What would it look like for us in RUF for this ministry to be known for generosity? You know, Jesus, that's one of the things we should be known for. I don't know what it would look like. Here are a couple things maybe it would look like in your life. Maybe you are in a class where you're absolutely killing it because it's your thing. What if you maybe got your work done ahead of time so that you could tutor people for free or help your friends that are struggling in the class? Or maybe it looks like, you know, not everyone at Ole Miss has a lot of money. And so maybe it looks like for you, maybe you buy someone's books one semester because they can't uh, afford their books and you want to help someone who uh, has a need. Or maybe it looks like an RUF conference and someone needs a scholarship. Maybe you say, Jason, here is money for a scholarship need that you might have. I don't know what it looks like. There are tons of ways. Maybe it looks like listening to someone and listening to a friend and being generous with your time instead of worrying about the test you got tomorrow. Maybe you're able to sit down with someone for a at least 30 minutes and just listen and be a friend. I don't know what it looks like. But how can we be generous uh, with our time and with our resources and with our possessions? Lastly, growth. So what does it look like for us to grow uh, in this? How do we change? How do we become givers uh, instead of takers? Well, the simple answer is we need a new heart. And not only do we need a new heart, but we need a new motivation. We need a new motive. You see, we change when we realize how generous God has been with us. The Bible says that you and I are the ones that are poor. 
that we are the ones that are needy, that we have nothing to offer God, that we are not rich enough, that we're not smart enough, that we're not powerful enough or connected enough or good enough to go to God and say, look, I've got, I've got it covered, I'm good. The Bible says the complete opposite. It says that we have nothing to offer God unless God first moves towards us. And so that's the first thing. You want to become generous, you've got to see your need. You've got to see that you actually need something because unless you see how needy you are, then you're simply going to serve other people because you pity them. And you're going to serve them and it's going to be in arrogance and condescension and they will see that and in pride and in strength rather than moving towards them in mercy and grace because of the way Jesus has loved you. You see, the motive for generosity is the grace of God. Friends, the cross is what makes you generous. We become generous people and givers instead of takers when we look at the cross and when we see Jesus there and when we stop looking at ourselves and our money and our things and our stuff and our possessions and we look at Jesus because when we see the cross, here's what you see. You see a God who was not stingy with you. You see a God who gave it everything in order to be with you all the way down to his only son and when we see that we're able to let loose of our possessions that we're white knuckling because we're able to see that Romans 8 I keep coming back to that if God didn't spare Jesus then how is he not going to give you graciously every good thing that you need you remember when Jesus was crucified he was hanging between what two thieves and if you remember one of the thieves looked at Jesus and says will you remember me in your kingdom before he died and Jesus looked at him and said today you will be with me in paradise friends it's only as we are able to admit tonight that we're thieves Because it's when we admit that we're thieves that Jesus will actually make us generous. And the reason for that is because generosity begins by looking at the cross and seeing just how generous and gracious and kind that God has been with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...